Welcome to the Climate Capital Podcast, where we interview founders who are solving the most difficult and important decarbonization problems in the world. Climate Capital, across our funds and our syndicate, is one of the most active funders of early stage climate tech in the world. This episode is led by Michael and Jenny. Hi, I'm Michael, the GPs of the Climate Capital Bio Fund. Today, we are interviewing Malik, who is one of the co-founders of Tandem Repeat. Tandem Repeat is addressing the carbon emissions and pollution from the fashion industry. By way of context, the fashion industry accounts for, depending on who you ask, between 4 and 10% of global annual CO2 emissions, with over 70% of those emissions coming from upstream activities. So what we mean by that are the energy-intensive raw material production, preparation, and processing. This is especially true of synthetic fibers that are derived from petrochemicals like elastic. Moreover, those fossil fuel-derived synthetic chemicals are the largest contributor to microplastics in our oceans. Tandem Repeat, Malik's company, is aiming to entirely replace uh, those petrochemical-derived synthetic fabrics with a synthetic biology-produced all-natural elastic material. So with that, on to the interview. Do you mind sharing, just to start out with, an overview of your background and more on also the personal side? Like, How do you introduce yourself um, at parties, for example? Yeah, thank you. So uh, currently, I'm the Hagendout Chair Professor at Penn State. I've been with Penn State over 20 years. Uh, I did my PhD at Carnegie Mellon and then moved to Los Alamos for Los Alamos National Lab for uh, two years and spent one year at, uh, as a von Humboldt fellow in Germany in Max Planck Institute for uh, Biophysical Chemistry. Um, so my background is mostly in engineering, uh, but you know, combining uh, biotechnology with material science. Um, so basically I'm a person, uh, interested in doing what you like and do what you like and like what you do. So in the parties, I introduced myself as Malik. Where in the country are you currently living and, and where did you grow up? Yeah. Penn state is in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's a, it's a beautiful town. Uh, it's in right at the center of Pennsylvania. Okay. Uh, so 200 miles of forest at every direction. So if you are a hiking person and you love, um, you know, rivers and so on, it's the right place to go. And, you know, it's um, known for its football, but it's also known for its, uh, you know, basic science and engineering. And um, so I came to Penn State in 2003. Uh, since then, you know, uh, we have been living there for over 20 years. Uh, I was grown in, in Turkey uh, until the age of 23. At the age of 23, uh, uh, I moved to US. Um, and, um, and since then, I'm, I'm, I'm in the US. And what caused you when you were 23 to move to the US? Well, I finished undergrad and I did a master on, uh, you know, protein chemistry and so on. And my advisor was working closely to a, another person in in the uh, Bob Jernigan. His was the name, 
and he was at NIH National Institute of Health. And I wrote one of the first code in um, in protein dynamics. So it's it's very famous now. It's known as Gaussian network model. Uh, I wrote the initial code, and everybody was looking who did write this code, and <laughs> they they invite me to to US, and I start working there for uh, for a while, and then uh, my advisor at, at the time told, hey, you need to go get PhD if you want to become an academic. Okay, I said, yeah, I should go. I applied, Carnegie Mellon accepted to me, and I, I moved from there. This code that you wrote that people were interested in, can you explain what that is? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it is right in the alley of uh, Jenny because, you know, she did work <laughs> on that and so on, right? So, so think about an enzyme, right? So you know the structure, but you don't know how it, uh, you know, moves. Uh, you know, how it dynamically moves is extremely important because it, it determines the binding and it determines the basically, you know, its its characteristics. And if you extend the set to signaling, you know, how the molecule signals, uh, how molecules can become, uh, you know, uh, doors for, for example, for getting certain ions into the cell and out of cell. So what has been known up to time uh, was basically the, the structure of the proteins, but the dynamics required molecular dynamic simulation, which was like costly, very expensive to run and so on. And we are talking about 1990s, right? So it's not like 2020, right? So, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, was there a, like we were looking for a very short, very quick algorithm to, to determine the dynamics of the protein, um, you know, basically which parts moves faster than the other parts, which parts can be engineered to create uh, certain mutations, right? So the code was basically to determine um, these type of dynamics. And just so that people can have an appreciation, when you are able to determine those types of dynamics, what does that let humanity do? Yeah, so it's then you can design better enzymes. So you can understand their uh, fundamental dynamics. So you can understand, like, you know, by looking at a car, you cannot estimate how fast it goes, right? So by looking at simply the structure, you don't know what it will do. So it's basically, uh, you know, the code at the time was very efficient in within seconds, it can determine its dynamics. Tell us just in, you know, one or two sentences, the name of your company and uh, what what you all do. Yeah, uh, it's Tandem Repeat. Uh, the name comes from uh, protein sequences. Many years ago, when I was dealing with the protein structures to write the code, uh, we were only looking at proteins that are globular, basically almost like spherical shapes. So, and then uh, there are, there's a big set of proteins like your hair, like your skin, and apparently this uh, spider silk uh, and the wool and so on. These are all structural proteins. They are water deficient, uh, but, uh, you know, they are very interesting because their molecular architecture repeats itself. So that's where the name comes from. Uh, they repeat uh, itself. And mm. and the fundamental of this thing goes back to uh, how nature designed things because it's it's all about gene duplication. So when nature finds a block, a Lego block, it wants to build that Lego block on top of it and it wants to build something much more complex. So that tandem repeat is really uh, the origin, is the origin of nature. That's a very thoughtful <laughs> name. I like that. How long did it take you to come up with that one? Well, it was basically, you know, uh, it's three co-founders, me, Ben Allen, um, uh, and Gözde. 
uh, when we started the company in 2018, uh, we decided that, hey, this is really a scientific name and we are nerds. You know, we should really... <laughs> I'd love to hear the story of you know, how you found your co-founders and how you all decided you were actually going to build a company. Yeah. So uh, when we started the protein work long time ago, I was very interested in, you know, uh, to understand its dynamic and so on. Through the years, the global proteins become famous and, you know, people have been working a lot. And I was thinking that how can I merge uh, protein world with the materials world, right? Because my PhD is on materials. Uh, although I did the, uh, you know, um, postdoctoral work on, on, on the molecular biology of proteins. So uh, around 2010, I started to look at, you know, uh, different proteins and I was looking for an alternative to silk because silk is a very good material protein. Uh, but the problem is it shrinks, right? It shrinks with water. Mm -hmm. And we're looking for a very similar structure uh, at the molecular level, but it can, it evolved in oceans, right? So, and it turns out that the squid proteins, the inside the suction cups of squids, there is this very tiny protein, which is similar in the molecular architecture to, to silk. So that's, that's really where we got excited about. And, you know, uh, and then through the years, we tried to understand its fundamental, you know, characteristics and so forth. And around 2014, a great scientist from Caltech come and joined us. So his name is Ben Allen. Um, and uh, so he was, he did his PhD there. And then he started also a company uh, with his advisor and, and so on. And then uh, at the time, he decided to move to Penn State for family reasons. And then I went and uh, started talking to Ben. Uh, and I said, look, Ben. So this is something uh, within your, uh, you know, interest. And would you like to collaborate on this? And then we start collaborating. And around 2018, uh, you know, uh, we decided that, you know, this technology should really go and find itself in, in the, in the industry because it's, it's a, a technology that we cannot hide within the academia. We should really translate into a real life, uh, uh, you know, uh, technological solutions. And apparently, you know, it's textile is the, is the good one because, you know, it's related to climate, it's related to plastic pollution, and it's also a good natural solution, you know. Uh, so that's where everything started. Was it a difficult decision to, you know, decide that this should be something pursued in the kind of corporate structure with a profit motive versus inside of academia? Or was that clear to you from the beginning? Yeah. So, you know, uh, it is the company as a word, as you know, it's like, uh, 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 it's combining people, right? It, you know, it's the company, like the party that you ask at the very beginning, right? So yeah. it's almost, I see, I see almost like a party, right? So it's like people getting together, uh, knowing each other, trusting each other, working together, and so on. So every week we meet with the whole team. Now we are at 12 people. So it's a company. It's a company. It's a, it's a really a party. So it's not like uh, only, uh, uh, you know, motivation from an economic perspective, but it's more uh, philosophical, right? So it's like more people with the same mindset of, uh, we say it's, saving world at one gar one garment at a time right so that's that's our motto you know basically you know we are trying to produce something that's going to be useful to humanity so from that perspective 
all of us have agreed and it's you know uh, of course there are lots of challenges from the economics perspective but we are learning we are good learners Malik, you touch upon the you are passionate about solving the microfiber and plastic problem. Can you tell us more about what problem you're trying to solve with tandem repeat? Yeah, sure. So first of all, I'm trying to solve uh, the very fundamental problem of you know why uh, the natural fibers have been limited, right? So think about over the history of ten uh, thousand years of you know agricultural life right so uh humans uh, settled in different areas of the world starting you know anatolia right so it's like basically the first um you know uh, place uh that started agriculture which i am from right so in fact i literally born in an area that the agriculture started so it's it's deep into the roots of Textiles and Silk Road and everything else is deep into the root of our, uh, you know, genome, I believe, right? Cultural genome. So, you know, but uh, in the last century, that significantly changed, right? From wool, silk, rami, shishel, and all these natural fibers. Silk was very expensive. Cotton was great, but it was, it required labor and, you know, all the uh, social aspect of it uh, last century, uh, you know, uh, on, on the beginning, a uh, couple of centuries before in the North America and so on. So the the challenge is like people started to look at it from a you know performance perspective, right? First the nylon is invented, and and then the polyester came and took it over. But today, if you look at the numbers, you are you are seeing that it's almost like 65-70% synthetics, right? Cotton is 25% of the whole market. And we are talking about the 110 million ton of fiber every year. It's a three trillion dollar economy. It's huge, um, and for the cotton, the biggest problem is you know irrigation, the land uh, for food use, and so on and so on, right? So it's, uh, but for the plastics, it's even bigger, right? So the uh, micro microfiber uh, plastic pollution is uh, you know contaminating the waters that we drink, and it's killing the planktons in the oceans and so forth. So the key issue is like how can we address these problems? How can we make the natural fibers? Uh, better again right so you know over the evolution time right so uh, nature solved some of this problem by inventing new fibers right uh, polysaccharide based uh, you know like cellulosic things that support wood and other structures right or the proteins based you know like our hairs silk wool uh, you know this squid ring teeth that helps because squid is an invertebrate right so it doesn't have the bones right so it's can it can help the nature so, so how can we go back to nature and learn from it? But we are living in an era which is quite different because now we can play with the genes, right? So the uh, that's that's where the where, where the fundamental problems start. Uh, and we were trying to solve uh, a, a very interesting problem uh, from the beginning because we are trying to understand how we can create new proteins that can help the materials materials need of the humanity that is so interesting because for a long time a lot of performance materials that our society depends on spandex for example comes from fossil fuels right but you're saying actually we can go back to nature and look for properties that nature has already tangled with and see what we can utilize to make materials that we can rely on to make things that we care about why do you think nobody has really looked into this space for such a long time? 
So actually, people did, right? There is a long history of uh, a synthetic, biosynthetic, uh, biomanufactured silk, a biomanufactured collagen, you know, biomanufactured other uh, structural protein. The, the challenge has been basically, you know, the production uh, yields, production uh, cost, and so forth, and, uh, you know, uh, and how you can engineer them, right? So I think what we are doing at Tandem is, as a unique approach, is we are merging biotechnology with material science. So because, you know, proteins by themselves are biology, right? But without the knowledge of materials, you cannot make them useful for uh, materials problems, engineering problems, right? So this is a, a unique merger that we have. We can uh, start from two ends, one from, uh, you know, designing genes and, you know, uh, learning about how to optimize the fermentation and so on. On the other end, we can also learn how we can make these materials, uh, you know, more uh, uh, better strength, better thermal properties even self-healing right so we we demonstrated that uh you know squid proteins can self-heal and and these are uh, uh interesting because it brings performance at the same time uh with with some unique characteristics or properties together why squid protein can you tell us more about how you stumble or discover this protein with these amazing properties that now you have leverage to make squid tanks yeah, as I said earlier, so it's basically, you know, we were looking for a silk alternative that is more stable in, in, in the water. But through the years of research, we learned that they are basically uh, also have unique properties like self-healing. You know, and think about the squids trying to grab uh, the fish. So every time there's a lot of shear forces that can break this, uh, you know, uh, uh, ring teeth structures, they're almost like nails uh, in the suction cup of the squid. And it's very interesting because octopus, for example, have the same, uh, you know, uh, suction cups, but doesn't have the, uh, the, this unique protein structure. So that can bite into the skin of the, the, the fish. So being an invertebrate, no bones of, for the squid, it's, it's quite, it has to be quite strong. It has to, uh, repair itself. At the same time, it's, it's, um, you know, it should, it should basically, Act in the water, right? So proteins are typically water soluble, global proteins. Uh, but, you know, uh, without having a cross-linked structure, basically not getting to too much chemistry, but your hairs are cross-linked. So the reason that your hair doesn't wash off when you take a shower is because they have chemical cross-links in them. So apparently two unique structures in, in the world of uh, proteins, silk and squid, does not have this chemical crosslinks. They are bonded by so-called hydrogen bonds. Hydrogen bonds are everywhere. It's like within in the water, in, in the in the all the natural systems uh, have it. So you know, it, it's a marvelous material that is better than silk. So that was the starting point of our uh, interest. And I understand that you make a lot of squid proteins without killing a single squid. Tell us how you do it. So, yeah, I mean, it's extremely important to emphasize that, uh, you know, we do not go back to origin and extract these things from the uh, squids. I mean, theoretically, actually, it would be very difficult to do it anyhow. Uh, but so, you know, uh, we take the gene uh, and then we, we biomimetically created 
similar uh, genes in different microorganisms. We start with E. coli, and we moved into other organisms very recently. And the thing is basically using uh, synthetic biology, you can engineer these uh, genes into microorganisms like E. coli. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, E. coli re- replicates every 20 minutes, and you can put them into tanks, and then you can grow them. So then you can extract the protein from uh, the biomass. And here you go, you have, you have a protein. And we come up with a very simple um, isolation uh, methods so that it will be less costly. And, you know, uh, as we speak, we improve all this yield, fermentation parameters and so forth so that we can create an economically viable material. You have previously mentioned that you have a ton of applications that you have envisaged that Scutics can come in and solve. Can you tell, give us some examples of that? Yeah. So we are actually, now I can announce, we are doing the first denim that's coming in. Next yeah, so it's going to be LA-based. Uh, so it's going to be manufactured in LA uh, and designed in LA. We are working with top designers and uh, top manufacturers to make this thing happen. So we will launch hopefully early next year our first, uh, you know, limited launch of uh, denim um, mm-hmm. that's going to be made with uh, blended uh, squid fibers. So it's going to be an awesome uh, uh, denim gene that everybody would like to have, uh, but it's going to be only limited. So, um, so we will see how it goes. So if somebody's listening to this and they say, "Man, I got to get some of those squid fiber." blended denim jeans how do they sign up on the waiting list or whatever to be a customer so we will uh, soon launch our d2c site uh, mm-hmm. direct our site and we will be collecting you know information of the customers and so forth and this is going to be an interesting launch we are now trying to call it impossible gene so it's interesting because nice. it goes after the impossible food but also impossible gene is you can write it two ways, right? Gene and mm. gene, right? Mm-hmm. The, <laughs> the the genome uh, that has the, <laughs> that, that has the gene. So your genes are in your genomes, right? So it's like uh, so that's that's what we are we are going to name it. So impossiblegene.com. Love it, love it. I can't wait to buy a pair myself and try it on. This is incredible, Malik. What are some of the hurdles that you have overcome so far to get to this point? I know the journey hasn't been easy. I learned that there's really five major uh, roadblocks. And of course, number one is your technology. Is it good? Is it scalable? And so on. But beyond that, I think the most important thing when a company starts, the party starts. So that means that you have to keep everybody happy into the party, right? So it's like basically, you know, uh, team. Uh, is a very big, very important factor, right? So you have to find people that you can work together. You have to find people that can solve problems. Like last year, when we made the fiber, we didn't know how to convert into the fabric, even to a clothes, right? A, a garment, like a dress. And like this year, doing denim and so on. So bringing these people into the team is challenging and you have to find the right people at the right time. So the other thing is basically how you can manufacture these things. You know, okay, manufacturing in the lab or manufacturing in the startup is one thing. Manufacturing at a massive scale at the industry is another thing, right? So Mm -hmm. this is beyond scaling up. This is an engineering problem. So one has to solve the engineering problem. 
And and then uh, you know of course the capital right without the capital it is very challenging to produce uh, you know to to grow right so because you know you can grow as a snowball right from small tiny things to bigger things but there's also a time window that you don't want to miss right so I mean uh, with, we are lucky because you know if you look at the history of textiles you see that you know uh, there's there's a couple of big inventions. And the first invention is the, you know, uh, uh, the wheel and then the, and the loom first, sorry, first loom come and the wheel come later on. And then, and then the industrial age of, uh, you know, manufacturing and so on. This century, the biggest thing is sustainability, right? Sustainability in textiles. So mm-hmm. from that perspective, we are lucky. But on the other hand, world economics is governed by major factors, right? So, you know, the Ukraine war, the uh, post-COVID, you know, inflation and so on. So the the drop in the investment and so on, that's that's a big, big challenge, right? So it's like, how do you find the money? Where where do you find the right investors? Because the deep tech investors are not like other types of startups. There's only one, two percent of, of people uh, that are uh, interested in the deep tech. But luckily, Climate tech investors are increasing, so it's that's good news. So, and and the last thing is, you know, beyond all these things, getting all these things together, you need also to identify the right raw materials and so on, right? So it's like because economics of this thing has to match. It's really hard to be a founder and to build a startup. So you know, part of what we want to do is is share sometimes if you're comfortable that you've felt really discouraged and and how you navigated those problems um, and persevered. Yeah. The first two years, we thought that Squid uh, could be a very good uh, application for adhesives. And after two years, we realized, hey, this is not this is not the right thing. We should, I mean, we always thought that to, we, we should make the fibers, but for the first two years, we couldn't make the fibers because it, we didn't know how to make the fibers. You know, think about it. I'm a material scientist. I know biotechnology, but I don't know how to make textiles, right? Mm-hmm. And then we said, okay, you know, um, maybe be, be going to textile, let's do the adhesive problem. It was a total failure. It was a total failure uh, because, you know, number one, there was very limited investors because, you know, people look at the numbers of the total addressable market and so on, right? So, and it wasn't, adhesive is not a big, big area. And, uh, you know, as you make adhesive like packaging materials, so you have a raw material and you convert into a product, it's almost one step. There is no increase in the price. In the textile, it's very different. You start with the raw material, and when you make the fiber, it's already 3x more expensive. And when you take that filaments, fibers, and convert into yarn and fabric, it's already another three times more expensive. And you take fab that fabric and convert into a, a dress, it's already three times more expensive. So overall, you have like 10x cost differences. And that's beautiful because you know why it's beautiful? Because, okay, it's a very complex process, but it's beautiful because you can choose to penetrate to different markets at different times of the evolution of your company. So as a starting company, you may be interested to make like denim dress and so forth, which is, you know, at the very end of the expensive, but you don't need large amount of, uh, you know, clothes because first of all, you know, very limited people, number of people will know you. So mm-hmm. that product will only sold in, in certain quantities. And moreover, you cannot make it enough, right? But as the time grows, as the company grows, and as you saw this, all these five challenges that I mentioned, 
Now you can start to produce at large scale. Then you can start to provide all this material to brands, right? To B2B, right? So, so you can address these things. So from failures to success, we learned a lot. What's maybe the most important thing or couple things that you wish you had known when you were starting the company that would have saved you time or pain <laughs> that maybe other people can learn from? Yeah, so I think one has to look at the big picture first, right? So it's like mm. basically when we choose the adhesive market, we were so wrong because we were trying to solve an academic problem. So you have to learn how to become how to become an entrepreneur. Do you mind sharing a story of a time that you had a, a disagreement with maybe a co-founder or an investor? And how you navigated that? Oh, I was, uh, I didn't have any too much fight with the, uh, with the, my co founders because typically we, we, we like each other. I had a uh, couple of fights with the investors. <laughs> <laughs> Tell <laughs> us about started, that. You know, yeah, the, 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 the problem is uh, it's me actually because, you know, <laughs> I know how to respond. And, and like an academic, you know, in an academic discussion, the things are right or wrong, right? So it's like because there's, mm-hmm things right and you as i said earlier so you know emotional power right so intellectual uh you know intellectual iq right so it's that's where the problems so change you know location in your brain you have to you have to be very careful what you say you have to be very careful how you say it so in the academia we can say it very directly right so and when you say things very directly uh, the other academics don't get offended in the business world, it's very different. You know, you have to be very careful about how you say things and, and so on. And, uh, you know, I, I remember, uh, you know, a couple of uh, experiences from the past. Uh, basically, I, I, I got upset. You know, I got super upset because, you know, um, it's sometimes very frustrating when the other party doesn't understand what you're trying to say. And, and slowly, I, I made it better. I think I'm now a good, uh, you know, negotiator for, for this, uh, uh, for this uh, kind of interactions. I definitely see that very frequently, right? We see a lot of founders coming out of academia and, and learning. There's this whole new set of things that they need to think about and figure out how to communicate. Well, I want to pass back to Jenny to talk any sort of wrap-up and learnings. What has been some of the most helpful pieces of advice that you've got so far in the week? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I was talking to one of the investors uh, and he said, Malik, you need to hire people even you don't have the money. So I was so surprised. I said, what is this guy talking about? You know, like, how can I hire somebody even I don't have the money? Within time as we grow, I learned that because, you know, finding the rights, for example, textile engineer, you have to be super lucky to have the right person with right expertise at the right time, right? So so you have to be thinking ahead to hire which people to have, right? So, and, you know, um, that was a, the best advice that I got in terms of, uh, you know, hiring people, because as the company grows, you don't know which employee you can hire. I mean, like, you can always go to, you know, HR firms and try to find people, uh, but, you know, finding the right people for your own uh, company is a big challenge. So looking for uh, people in advance, you know, six months, one year advance, I think it's it's a great idea, the great advice that I got. Thank you for sharing that. 
what would tandem ricket look like in the next five to ten years and how would the world change because of that yeah tandem uh, would like to address the climate problem right so in the textile so as i said earlier we want to save the world one garment at a time so what we want to see tandem is growing in many fields uh, producing uh, products that are sustainably obtained and you know uh, minimum uh, carbon footprint uh, minimum energy requirements uh, totally integrated into uh, you know uh, sustainable energies and so forth uh, and clean uh, chemicals and so forth so uh, and at the same time a company that's fun right so you know we are trying to address you know some of the fundamental problems of of the you know uh, of the engineering but at the same time we have to know that you know science uh, as max weber said right science by its very nature has to be surpassed right we don't want mm. to get cyclic problem of uh, problem solution problem solution problem solution we want to be part of the society we don't want to be you know uh, uh, we don't want to create new problems to create new solutions so from that perspective you know i want to see tandem as part of the growing society and growing intellectual power so uh, that's where i want to see the tandem do you have any advice you would like to share with um, other founders scientists engineers at the beginning of the journey building companies at the intersection of climate and biotech deep tech in, in i can advise on my on my area so you know climate is deep tech right so and deep tech investors is limited right so you know uh, you have to understand the market you have to have a good uh, uh, lawyer that can defend uh, your your uh, you know inventions and so forth you have to also explain the fundamentals you know i think one should not be afraid of explaining fundamentals of the science to venture capitalists so even though they are not familiar try it i think you will find it very useful because the people who are excited about your science is going to be your long-term investor. And last but certainly not the least, before we wrap up, is there anything we or our audience can help you or attend with? Yeah, of course. We are a company that is growing. We always uh, look for people that are excited to work with us. So our team is growing and uh, we would love to have uh, new you know, creative minds to come and join us. What's the best way for the audience to, to contact you? Yeah, so they can reach me through my academic email or through my tandem email. So it's extremely simple, malik at psu.edu or malik at tandemrepeat.com. So these are the two easiest way. Or you can follow me in LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and you can join from there. Great. Yeah, Malik, thank you very much for making the time to talk with us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for the interview. Thank you to everybody for listening today. If you'd like to learn more about our conversation or to get involved with the work that Climate Capital is doing, you can check out our website, climatecapital.co. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you next time.